This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 198 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, as always. And I'm joined by only one person this time, because uh, I'm flying to the United States tomorrow, so it has to be a quick and dirty episode. Matthias joins me once again. Hey, Matthias, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm always good for quick and dirty. <laughs> yeah, you're already in the United States, so... Uh... <laughs> So much for that. Um, <laughs> Matthias, we have to talk about uh, Borussia Dortmund's transfer window now that it's finally shut. <sighs> Thankfully. Thank God. Yeah. And uh, preview the uh, matches against Freiburg and Tottenham. And uh, listeners, if you don't know, um, we have a special guest for this podcast who uh, will have all the insights on Tottenham and that's Matthias Zug <laughs> <laughs> because you are also a Tottenham fan so you are in the perfect position to answer all the questions that I will have because uh, I have to admit I had uh, more important things to do so far than to care about Tottenham so uh, yeah you will have to fill me in on the blanks uh, but yeah without any further ado I guess we put our focus to the transfer window that uh, yeah slant shut on September 1st and Dortmund made roughly 80 million by I guess selling Dembele and a couple of other players in total I guess you can count seven players that were added and about nine players that were either loaned or sold so yeah looking at the transfers that uh, or the players that left Borussia Dortmund Matthias Felix Passler going out on loan to Hoffenheim is the one that sticks out of, obviously, two-year loan. <laughs> Quick. Well, you know, maybe he'll turn into the next Philipp Lahm, like the Stuttgart loan. Well, I think he was there two seasons as well. Maybe. I don't remember. It's been so many years. Yeah, he, he was actually. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he will play under Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, I think it's the right call. Paslak, uh, who has been pretty good uh, in the last season. Yeah, somewhat stagnated also in preseason. Didn't really... Yeah, leave the impression that it was his breakout year. So under Julian Nagelsmann, as I said before, I think he will develop, especially with, uh, yeah, Toljan in at Dortmund. So that's pretty good. Dennis Bonich, I think we can just say, say the same about him. 19 year old player extended his contract and, uh, yeah, is now loaned out to Stuttgart to his and former, to his former coach, Hannes Wolf. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, he's a defensive midfielder. All the best to Janis Bonic, unless he's playing against Dortmund, I guess. Then one transfer that I found very interesting, Hendrik Bonmann, uh, yeah, was the uh, second or rather the third goalkeeper, uh, moved to 1860 Munich. Uh, is that the move you would have done to a club that's uh, in constant turmoil for decades and now in the fourth division? 
Um, well, I mean, odds are they're going to get promoted. Um, given that they're in the fourth tier, it's it's the same level of play as Dortmund's second team. But obviously his hope is that 1860 will at some point stop being as chaotic as they are, get promotion into the Dritte Liga and, and kind of help his development that way. I mean, he's 23 years old. He never, in my estimation, he never would have been a starting keeper at Dortmund. So this is probably his best way of maybe... Uh, becoming a starting keeper in eventually maybe the second Bundesliga. Um, so it's it's not it's a little bit of an odd move, but at the same time, I can kind of understand it coming from his perspective. Yeah, I can see that perspective, but honestly, we all know how interesting, let's say, and how confusing, and also how hard it is for fourth tier side to get promoted to third tier because the playoffs are not really fair let's put it this way and even if you finish first in the Bavarian first division doesn't really mean you get promoted so I don't know to me it's a bit of a gamble but you know let's move on to Don Mikel Merino and I know Lars is uh, still weeping somewhere he has been sent to Newcastle on loan and uh Newcastle do have an obligation to buy after a very uh, small amount of games that Mourinho has to play. And I think he already has his own song and has been doing quite well in his first few games for Newcastle. So yeah, we can all safely assume that he will be sold. Uh, Matthias, I also assume that was the wish of the player that uh, yeah he has a more permanent thing and will probably not return to Dortmund. Uh, he said when he left that he didn't quite understand what Thomas Tuchel wanted from him. And uh, yeah, that's that. I personally think that's kind of a shame because we can all see his potential. But uh, yeah, didn't quite cut it. I don't know if Dortmund sent him away too early or not, but maybe that's just because they wanted to comply with a player's wish. How do you see that transfer away from Dortmund? Well, it's a shame because, you know, he's he's talented, he's young, um, but for the type of position that he plays, Dortmund already have quite a few players in there that are significantly further along than him in their development. I'd, I'd see it maybe as a season or two down the line when Gonzalo Castro goes away, that Marino kind of fits in that mold, or or Götze gets gets hurt, or mm. or something. Some, I don't know. I, I see him rather as a sixth than an eighth. Well, then he's got no chance. I, I would have. Well, then, I, then Weigel and Shine are ahead of him, absolutely. but Shine is injury prone. Then he would be already the number two. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. As a twenty-one-year-old player that needs playing time, you can't really be the number three player now, can you? No, and and I just didn't didn't see the. I guess right now for the next couple of years, really the opportunity here. And his saying that, you know, when he said he didn't quite know what Tuchel wanted from him, I think that was also a danger sign for Bosch because even though Bosch isn't quite as extremely demanding of his players when it comes to tactics as Tuchel, uh, the tinker, is, was, uh, he still wants and expects a lot from them in a tactical aspect and maybe he didn't really see what he needed from him i don't know i i kind of would have wished he would have stayed around under bosch to kind of see if he would have slipped into the side but the way shaheen is playing right now and once weigel is fit again that pretty much would have done it unless they would have moved him into a number eight type yeah i guess so Ah, well, Pascal Stenzel also now permanently moved to Freiburg. He was already there on loan. And uh, yeah, I think he has been doing pretty well as a right back. And 
I assume that Domo will keep an eye on him. Uh, he was already floating around for his name rather when it came to possible additions to the right back spot uh, in a light of Eric Durm being once again injured and Felix Paslak most likely being loaned out himself. So yeah, another prospect at, at right back. Um, do you see him having a future in Dortmund? What do you think or how, how do you rate his chances to actually return and become a more prominent fixture on the uh, right back position in Dortmund? I guess that all really comes down to what Duham does this season. I think this is, unless he really stands out this season, this is probably Duham's last season at Dortmund, maybe even his last six months. Uh, Piszczek obviously is coming to the end of his career, but we have Toljan now. And of course, Paslak, you know, it looks like he'll be back in two seasons. So I don't know. It really comes down to how Freiburg does, how he develops. Obviously, under Christian Streich, players do really, really well. And we do like working with Freiburg, probably even more so than we like working with Mainz. So um, who knows? At this point, the way things stand right now, I would say no. But, uh, you know, we'll see what it looks like a season from now. Yeah, Adrian Ramos also uh, still on that list of players that left, uh, although not this transfer window, and I think we've talked about him enough. Um, yeah, then Sven Bender, a transfer that uh, Michael Sorg described as not a usual transfer for him, uh, very emotional for Michael Sorg, and I think for, for most fans, Sven Bender has been uh, yeah linchpin throughout the uh, successes between 2010 and 2013. In defensive midfield, either alongside Nuri Shine or Ilkay Gunnar, and of course has been one of the uh, players that yeah just became instant fan favorites. I guess just because of the type of player he is. Uh, I mean, in Dortmund, industrial players, let's put it this way, are always uh, yeah among the favorites. Uh, you can still sense, for example, the love that uh, Paul Lambert receives when he is around in Dortmund, and uh, yeah, also. A very grounded kid, I would say, although at his age, maybe kid isn't the right word anymore since he's also already 28. Um, Matthias, right call to, uh, yeah, have Sven Bender join his brother Lars Bender at Bayer Leverkusen. Well, like you said, it's very, very emotional. You know, uh, Mani Bender was a key cog in the club sides and even Tuchel to a certain degree. Obviously, he, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have won the DFB Pokal last season. <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty clear with his miraculous save on the line. Uh, but given his age, given probably his salary and his extreme injury proneness over the last four seasons, you know, we always talk about, <laughs> or everybody talks about how injury prone Marco Reus is. Sven Bender is much more injury prone than Marco Reus over the few seasons. I mean, it's not even close. So, yeah, I, I don't see why not. With Leverkusen, he's still playing for a good side that, you know, after a one-year absence from Europe, I expect to be back playing in Europe next season. So, yeah, why not? Let him join up with his brother and they can be injured together. <laughs> yeah, how cruel. I would I would say that from a sporting perspective, the transfer definitely makes sense, especially if you yeah switch Toprak for Bender uh, at the center-back spot. It's certainly an upgrade. So, um, yeah, basically... Dortmund traded Bender for Toprak for about the same money due to the buyout clause. Emre Moore joining Celta Vigo. Now, that was interesting, wasn't it, to follow how this transfer developed and developed and developed. Emre Moore had to fire his agent because a uh, deal to Inter Milan fell through. And then, uh, 
yeah, was uh, interested in joining, what was it, Torino and another side, was it Napoli? I don't even remember. In the end, he ended up at Celta Vigo, uh, basically, yeah, write, writing an application to pretty much every team in the world, I feel. Um, yeah, Dortmund started more or less the last season with three exciting youngsters in Usman Dembele, Emre Moore and Christian Pulisic. Pulisic so far the only one that uh, remains. Matthias, Emre Moore, was it the right call to let him go or not? Oh yeah, I mean I I've kind of had my my thoughts on him before. Very very technically gifted, uh tactically and football IQ wise I would say not at all. He's not up to top tier Champions League type level. Absolutely not. Uh, Although he had that one pass against Remedy. Yeah, he had he had one pass, but the amount of times that he would just run into an alley and that was the end of it. Um, poor pressing ability, poor pressing resistance. I just he had all the talent in the world. I think Celta Vigo is the right kind of fit for him. Uh, the Spanish league is not overly physical. Um, he gets to flourish a little bit with his dribblings. I, I honestly think with him when he came from Denmark. A more logical move for him would have been to maybe move to a club like PSV or Ajax, um, where it's you know it's a league that's that's a little bit above the Danish league, a club that's obviously better than any of the clubs in Denmark, but not quite to the top level like Dortmund. I think it was one step too soon. I can understand why Dortmund bought him at the time. At the end of the day, I think made a slight profit on him, which really doesn't matter in in the grand scheme of things. He just at this point in his career is not up for this level. Yeah, basically Dortmund took a punt on Emre Moore as they did with uh, Shinji Kagawa back then because uh, I, I don't know if Otto Addo is working in Denmark or his agent, but uh, yeah, he basically scouted him for Dortmund or just saw him and, and told the Dortmund bosses, hey, there's this Emre Moore kid who is really talented. Uh, why don't you go for him? And that's just what they did. But I think in the end, uh, yeah, there were too many question marks also Yeah, around his character and the people that surrounded more. And yeah, I think there were not many indicators that, yeah, he would get a proper education by his surrounding to, uh, yeah, be a little less selfish, I guess, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch also. So there were a couple of, uh, yeah, points that turned Dortmund off and hence he was rightfully sold. Um, yeah, it's always going to be sad to see him and his extravagant talent. Yeah elsewhere but in the end i think uh, yeah it's a, it's the right move and there are other exciting talents to be purchased which Dortmund did and where we will talk about in a second um Matthias Ginter joining Gladbach for 17 million good price yeah i I'd, i'd say i mean maybe a little bit low given that it seems like he's a favorite of Joachim Löw's which really doesn't mean much World Cup winner, World, Confed Cup winner. Correct, correct. Granted, he only played one of those. Silver medal at the Olympic Games. Then what else? Cup winner. Well, I mean, we know that when Le, <laughs> when Löw has a has a darling, he sticks with him no matter what. No matter what. Even if there are significantly better options. Obviously, once Jerome Boateng is fit again, Ginta will not be starting for Germany is my 
strong assumption. But uh, no, I think it was good. I think his his future at Dortmund was more than limited, even uh, under Bosch. Despite under Tuchel's first season, he actually looked good at right back. Um, shame to see him go. Another one of those ex Freiburg players where I think Gladbach is more his level. Yeah, Ginter had some really good games for Dortmund, but he never really managed to be consistent. And his problem was that there's always another player that was better than him. And uh, although he played a lot of minutes last season, he was never an automatic starter because uh, once any injured player or suspended player returned, Ginter was out again and he had to shuffle around between right back, center back and midfield. And yeah, at Gladbach, he is now a center back that's an automatic starter and that should help him. Although we've already seen uh, that he had a couple of, uh, yeah, let's say, I wouldn't say errors, but mistakes in the in the sense that he, uh, he had some positional mishaps that caused goals. And uh, yeah, Gladbach maybe not too happy with Ginter right now, but uh, I, I think in the end he'll be fine. He's a very good Bundesliga player, but yeah, not quite on Dortmund's level too many individual errors too so yeah i wish him all the best but i think for for all three parties involved this transfer actually made a lot of sense and then of course they already very dead horse that needs a little bit more beating matthias usman demele joining barcelona yeah i i wouldn't mind beating that dead horse but um <laughs> uh you know given what he now said in in his press conference with barcelona that you know this is very calculated to not want to have anything to do with Dortmund anymore, to force his way out. I think it's also pretty strong suggestions, at least, that that Barcelona had a hand to play in that as well. Um, one of the most technically gifted players I have ever seen. Unfortunately, from a character standpoint, I'm glad that he's gone. Um, just... Yeah, uh, he, it's good that he's gone. I think uh, he would have been poisonous for the locker room if he would have stayed. Um, for for my point, I'm glad we took the money, got rid of a bad apple from a discipline and a character standpoint, and now we can kind of move on and do well without him. You know, if you're dumb enough to admit it, that you did it all on purpose, I mean, yeah, we, we all know that, but then say it out loud and say that it's, most likely had him move to Barcelona. I, I think, you know, there should be some regulations that punish that behavior. But of course, <laughs> yeah, there isn't. And uh, right now he has to do some extra rounds of training because uh, he is not match fit after yeah missing two weeks of training, deliberately, of course. So yeah, Barcelona apparently not happy. But yeah, who cares? Um, well, they deserve each other. They, I mean, honestly, if you look at this entire transfer window, the biggest loser in all of Europe is Barcelona. Not so much from players. Yeah, they got rid of Neymar, who I also have my opinions on. Um, but <laughs> they they hardly got anybody. They got Dembele. They didn't get Coutinho. There were a few other players that they were looking at. Okay, they got Polinho, but he's kind of a waste. Uh, what they what they lost more than anything else was was their image. You know, the, this image of, you know, UNICEF and we we are the world, Kumbaya, that's gone. That's out the window for me as far as I'm concerned. I've never been a Barcelona fan, but uh, the, the way in which they tried to heavy, strong arm a lot of these transfers through um, to, you know, a lot of clubs do not care for Barcelona anymore. They would much rather do business with Real Madrid, who, you know, and that says a lot. 
now. Yeah, especially uh, considering, as, as you just said, they were once regarded as like the clean club that, uh, yeah, also with La Masia that has its own philosophy and everything. And uh, yeah, now they have Qatar <laughs> as their sponsor and uh, too many weird back channels there as well. So yeah, a lot is foul around Barcelona right now. And as you said, they sort of deserve each other. I personally still think that uh, Dortmund should have should have remained strong in the first place and just not sold him like Liverpool did with Coutinho, who uh, now now miraculously recovered. Matthias, um, I guess that concludes our little uh, yeah transfer section from players that left the club. Now um, there are about seven players to pick from. Who is the player coming in that excites you the most? Well, as far as who excites me the most, um, I think long term probably Dahoud. Um, it's kind of I'm, I'm very curious about Yarmolenko. I was really excited about him probably about three or four years ago when you know he was 23 years old. Uh, he's he's significantly older now, of course, at 27. Very curious to see what. He can do Maximilian Philipp, good squad, uh, Jaden Sancho. I know, honestly, I don't really know enough about him to be excited or not. I see him as a another Dembele. When he makes the breakthrough, has a good season, he's going to want to leave for a quote-unquote bigger club for big money. So I don't, I'm not really putting any stock in that. But Dahoud is probably the one that I'm most excited about. Yeah, fair enough. I think you can be uh, once again. Pretty savvy business from Dortmund to snap him up for just 12 million. I'm very sure that other quote-unquote bigger clubs were interested in Dahoud. And I think Sox said it himself that the transfer actually was only possible because of the buyout clause. Otherwise, they could, wouldn't have been able to compete with the, uh, with the, uh, transfer fee. So, um, yeah, he is, I don't know, the long-term replacement maybe for Ilkay Gunuan after all, uh, good number eight. Uh, who, uh, yeah, basically makes that link between defense and, and, uh, attack right in the midfield. And, uh, yeah, I really do wonder how he develops so far. He has been a little bit shy, but of course he joined late due to that, uh, under 21 championship. Matthias, um, if you, if you look at the who and his, uh, his capabilities do you really think that uh, he may stick around for like three or four seasons or do you think that once he actually hits the ground running that uh, he has also gone rather quickly no i think he'll he'll stick around for maybe three four seasons um i, I think as long as nuri shahin is in the squad mario Götze is in the squad uh because obviously they've had their experiences of leaving And coming back and seeing what Dortmund is, um, I think he will at some point this season replace Kastel in that kind of midfield trio with Shahin slash Weigel and then next to Mario Götze. So uh, I hope he sticks around for at least three seasons to four seasons. I think he can. He's still young enough. He's still only 21. So then he's 24, 25. And that's about the time when that next really big contract comes and when they when players start hitting the peak of their career. And that's when I could possibly see him moving to, you know, Uh, Madrid, Barcelona, one of the top English sides, something like that. And it's just too much money. I think that's what it'll come down to. It's just money at that point. So um, unless, of course, Dortmund start winning a lot in the meantime, that can obviously change a lot of things if someone's motivated not just by money. 
Uh, if money is a big motivation and Dortmund don't win a title or two in those three seasons, then yeah, he'll, he'll be gone. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting for me to see how many synergies he will have. I assume he will, yeah, in the long term be picked ahead of Gonzalo Castro. And uh, I've seen a lot of good things from him in Gladbach, although he stagnated there a little bit at the end, I guess, with his head already in Dortmund. However, uh, yeah, I think... I think he has potential to be maybe not world class, but international class. And, uh, yeah, if, if he really finds his form in Dortmund, which shouldn't take too long anymore. And, uh, Mario Götze also being back at 100%. Those to me, those are two really great number eights. And if you put Weigl or Shahin in good form in behind, I would say Dortmund have a really, really great midfield, especially with, uh, Having in mind that Götze is very great in his counter pressing and that Dahu also is, yeah, very immense in his tackling. I don't know. I think defensively Dortmund should be quite sound with, with those two playing in the number eights and maybe Weigl or Shine in behind. I, I agree with that. We also can't forget that uh, there's still Shinji Kagawa who can also slot in to kind of that more playmaking number eight role uh, that Götze has. So. I think in in our midfield trio, I, I think Dortmund is is very very strong now with Dahoud. Again, probably the reason why Marino is no longer here. Yep, definitely. Um, another addition is Jeremy Tolian. Um, purchased for about five million from Hoffenheim, can play on the right and on the left as a fullback, which is pretty important for Dortmund right now with Schmelzer always feeling his hemi he is hemis here and there and uh, Lukas Piszczek also yeah not being uh, at his full capacity anymore and won't be able to play those 40 to 50 matches so um yeah very exciting prospect showed what he can do at the under 21s uh the championship where he yeah performed really well although I, I think he was a little bit too overrated there he also had some weak points but uh Certainly a good player to develop and also a player that can immediately fit right in if he has to. So, um, yeah, from my opinion, that is very good transfer business because Dortmund certainly needed to address the issue at right back position. And that's just what they did. So for 5 million, getting a player like Tolian, who's 23, but still has a lot of, uh, yeah, room to develop. That's to me a very good transfer. Um, Let's, I guess, stay with the defenders. Ömer Toprak, 12 million euro. Uh, Matthias, we saw him slot in for Socrates at center back and we did not see any drop in quality. I guess that's exactly what Dortmund wanted, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a good Bundesliga player. He's not going to set the world on fire. He's a little bit like Socrates in that regard, you know, a more old school defender. You know, maybe not quite as old school as Jürgen Kola, but uh, definitely more not not the playmaking defender that that Mark Bartra is. Uh, so I think that's that's a good rotational option. I'd still pick Socrates ahead of Toprak, but for cup matches, for you know midweek Bundesliga matches, or when Socrates is, is injured, I think it is a. Uh, Almost like for like replacement. Again, I do value Socrates a little bit more than Topak just because he's been here longer and he kind of gets the system a little bit more at this point. Yeah, but nevertheless, I think that's a very interesting duel in midfield to, yeah, observe over the next couple of seasons. Socrates, uh, of course, has, yeah, 
morphed into a leader and a very important figure in the dressing room. So yeah, on the field, he is very important off the field, I think, as well. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes for Toprak, who, of course, uh, yeah, was uh, Tuchel's darling, let's say. But uh, Bosch says he's dealing well with the uh, situation. Um, Socrates and Toprak, of course, could be both toppled by no other than Dan Axel Zagadou in the long term, who is, uh, yeah, been... I don't want to say revelation. That's maybe putting it, I don't know, a bit too, too much. But uh, he has been pretty awesome so far considering he joins joined Dortmund on a free from Paris Saint-Germain's second team and is only 18 years old he is of course huge and uh, yeah we I don't I don't know of course his physicality is important but I think even more important is uh, his ball playing skills and his footballing IQ um in the long term Matthias could this be a, a gem for Dortmund that uh, topples, uh, as I just maybe said, Toprak and Socrates both. I can definitely see it. What about you? Oh, absolutely. I think we've seen the uh, first indications of that. I mean, out of position at left back and actually doing an okay job when he's not asked to actually perform left back duties. Uh, when he goes more <laughs> centrally, more as a, a central defender, of course, he can play a pass. He has good vision. He's really fast. Uh, especially for a kid of his size. And yes, he's a kid. Uh, so no, I, I absolutely see him in a few seasons being a starter at center back. Um, all things being equal, no means and stuff like that. We also can't forget center backs are, you know, they're kind of like keepers in the sense that they tend to become really good at a little bit older age, their development curve is a little bit slower than, say, an attacking player or a central midfield player, and they tend to also play longer. Um, so, no, I I think he's one of those steals that, uh, you know, in three, four seasons, we'll look back and go, wow, that was one heck of a transfer. Yeah, I, I have the same feeling, and uh, I can see him team up with Mark Bartra very well, and then Dortmund would have two would have two center backs that are very good at playing out the ball from the back and uh, that actually can defend and intercept so <laughs> this this should be some fun but uh, yeah I guess that's uh, something for the season after or so not not right now at least um, yeah so Maxi Philip joins for 20 million some find that quite steep but uh, Dortmund wanted the player and especially with Marco Royce being injured for the rest of 2017, I think that's good transfer business. Um, he of course can play also as a, yeah, false nine or a number nine uh, up front there. Uh, we could already see in the first two games that, uh, his off the ball runs are quite okay. Um, he, uh, yeah, has a, has a good shot and is, yeah, one of those, I don't want to say industrious wingers, but at least one who you can put in and you know, he will work hard. He will defend. He will track back. And I think that's that's very important that uh, at least you have uh, a good tactical balance. Um, I don't know, Matthias, do you think that Maxi Philipp is the sort of player Dortmund actually wanted in André Schürrle? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not as, as harsh on Schürrle as some of you guys are. Uh, I think he actually performed decently for Dortmund last season. Injuries obviously curtailed that a little bit. Uh, and, and I'm kind of more in a wait and see with André Schürrle. I think they've gotten a younger, cheaper version of André Schürrle. 10 million uh, cheaper. <laughs> 10 million cheaper and obviously a little bit younger. Um, 
again coming from Freiburg, uh, so he knows how to be. Co he's coachable. You have to be with Christian Streich um, and intelligent and dynamic. So I think that fits right into Bosch, what Bosch wants. And so no, I I think you know some people said it's a lot of money to spend. Honestly, it's not in this transfer window, not at all. Especially uh, when you made. 80 million euros profit. So yeah, but we didn't know that at the time. You know, this yeah. was well before a Dembele transfer. But, but even but without that, even without that, I mean, he is a good younger German Bundesliga attacking player who had a very good season. Actually, a very good couple of seasons. That's kind of pretty much the price I would expect to pay. Maybe even a little bit more right now. So I think he's he's a perfect. Um, I'm not going to say Marco Reus clone because Reus is a world-class player, but Philipp will be a very good player. And I think when Schuler comes back, we'll see them rotate a lot. And then when Reus comes back, that's when it, things will start to get very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, if Reus comes back and uh, is fully fit, I assume he's an instant starter. So yeah, I don't see much much playing time for either Philipp or Schuler. however. Unless they move them out right. Yeah, well, there's Mr. Pulisic or Yamolenko, of who we are yet to talk about. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. So yeah, let's just talk about Yamolenko. 25 million wanted to join Dortmund, uh, of two seasons ago, but his, cl his club didn't quite let him because of, uh, yeah, playing Manchester City in the knockout stages of the Champions League. And now they finally needed the money and took it. Yamolenko coming in. At the age of 27, not quite Usman Dembele, but uh, I think that's a it's a transfer you can describe as solid, right? Absolutely, he's he's a very very good player. Um, he's you know you, you kind of say at that age, 26 to 28, 29, uh, athletes are kind of at their peak physical performance level. So he's 27, so he probably still has. I don't know what his, his injury record is, but probably two, maybe three really good seasons ahead of him. And, and we can't forget, I mean, Robben, if you look at Robben, who's much older, when he's healthy, he's still a world-class player. So um, Yamolenko is an intelligent player. He has a more solid head than Dembele. I don't expect to see any stupid potential sendings off uh, from him. So, well, no, there have been a couple of incidents. <laughs> yeah, but I don't... but. But I don't see it as, as the same level. I mean, he, he'll be expected to be more of a veteran position. I think it balances out. Well, you know, plus, sorry, but you also have to take in account that he is not as easily fouled as Dembele. <laughs> it takes a little bit true. more to bring him down. True. He's, he's, a, he's a bit bigger. Um, you know, obviously, he's a man. Dembele is a kid. There's a difference. Dembele acts like a kid. Anyway, um, no, I, I really like the transfer. Uh, I think he's a very, very good player. I think he will have an immediate impact on Dortmund and will, uh, looking at this transfer, help us achieve bigger and better things in the next couple of years. Yeah, what I really like about Yamolenko is that he knows how to put the ball into the net, which is uh, really nice. Dortmund have enough players that can create, although... They are missing a really big player in Dembele that created a lot. And uh, Yamolenko, not certainly the type who always creates, although he also plays the creative part. But I assume he will be 
the player that uh, yeah in the end will sneak into the box and tries to finish off a move while other players like for example Pulisic with a burst of speed uh, try to yeah create something um i don't i don't know how he really fits in uh, i mean i i do know i can see how he fits in on on the right or on the left side um but it will be interesting to see how it uh, alternates Dortmund's dynamic because he is uh, that's not yeah he's just not as dynamic as Dembele so I don't know but the the really good part is that he also can be a replacement for Aubameyang if Aubameyang needs a break also he is a player that can play in that number nine spot although he sees himself as a winger um Yeah, I think Yamolenko, especially with all his experience already, uh, yeah, will make a difference. And, um, there's this argument for him not being in his best shape right now because, uh, yeah, the Premier League in Ukraine has, uh, deteriorated over the last two years. And, uh, yeah, he had his best years behind him in 2000. What was it? 15 or so. But the thing is now he joins a new club he finally makes a step to Europe and uh, we mustn't forget he has never played in the team that is as good as Dortmund is right now so I assume the quality around him will raise his own quality and uh, yeah with arriving at Dortmund there should be uh, all, all sorts of new motivation for him so I'm very happy that this transfer happened um, of course hindsight will tell us how it really works out and whether you know he can be a big impact player or you know just swims along but I think Dortmund fans can be excited and it's some some sort of solace for Dembele leaving but of course there's still a lot of money to be spent in future seasons in case this transfer does not work out so overall assessment on that transfer window Matthias uh overall I'd say extremely good um probably one of the best ones in the Bundesliga, if not the best one in the Bundesliga. The other thing I'd like to say about Yamolenko, I think we've got the better Ukrainian now in the Ruhrgebiet <laughs> uh, versus Koroplyanka at Schalke. But that's, you know, also because we are the better club. So, you know, that that's goes without saying almost, even though I said it. No, <laughs> I, I, I would say very, very good. Um, I'm very... I'm actually... I mean, I was always optimistic about the season. I tend to be more optimistic in general. I I think a top three finish now is an absolute, not guarantee, but I'd be shocked we're not in the top three. I'd actually be kind of shocked if we don't finish at least second. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if at the end of the day, we finish above second. Well, well, well. <laughs> yeah, always the optimistic type here <laughs> let's let's wait and see Dortmund of well course we've had... I mean no but I mean seriously Stefan we've addressed all of the issues really we have we Dortmund has depth in all positions including center back now that we're not playing a stupid back three anymore um we have a clear tactical concept that's not going to change from minute to minute so players can get used to it and the automatisms that you always love and talk <laughs> about uh are easier and we've upgraded on most positions. Yes, Dembele is a bit of a loss from, from a dynamic standpoint, but overall, I think we've upgraded across the board. And I will count Götze almost like a new signing at this point. Yeah, and, and we throw in Shine. And throw in Shahin, throw in the fact that second half of the season, you'll have Marco Reus back. And even though he's much maligned, Andre Schule will be back. Uh, so I would say overall, we are significantly better from a squad than we were the last two seasons. Yep, I would 
sign that as well because I fully agree with you this time and I would also add that uh, the squad is not only better in its depth but Dortmund has more balance and on key positions like for example the number eight position there have been there are significant significant improvements with a Mario Götze being more or less a new signing and uh, Mahmoud Daoud as we already spoke about uh, those are positions that uh, yeah certainly raise the quality same on the center back position and uh, I think we haven't said it yet but it's just as crucial as uh, many things that Aubameyang actually ended up staying because we already saw he has scored a goal in every match so far this season so yeah he is of course yeah incredibly important for Dortmund and he remains a goal machine and uh, more or less a lifesaver in that regard. So, um, yeah, Dortmund really have a good quad, good squad together. We saw in the early two, yeah, match days that the system is working out quite well, actually. And I have to say, I was, I was pretty surprised by how well it did work out so far. Um, because the preseason didn't quite suggest it, but that's preseason. And then Dortmund, yeah, actually, showed a bit more serenity on the ball and raised the possession game, which to me was a bit more reassuring because I wasn't feeling too well about the season. But uh, yeah, I think against Wolfsburg and Berlin, Dortmund showed uh, that they are certainly very much capable of finishing second. Um, Of course, I also saw what Leipzig can do against Freiburg. So uh, it's going to be a nice little race for at least second spot. And we don't know how strong Bayern Munich are, but you know, that's still far-fetched to me. So yeah, let's look ahead maybe to Saturday where Dortmund will play in Freiburg. It's the afternoon kickoff, which means I have to get up at like night <laughs> being in the United States then. Ugh. Yeah, but you're on the East Coast, so don't even complain to me about that. <laughs> All right, I won't. So, uh, thoughts on that game? Um, I mean, it's against Freiburg. Freiburg is kind of a club that we like to score goals against. Um, they, even though they started okay against Leipzig, they then completely fell apart. So, you can already kind of see the fact that without Philipp and without Grifo, their two best players going forward for Freiburg, that Freiburg, they're going to have a tough season. So, in my estimation, this will be a, I hate to say an, an easy win, because it's the Bundesliga, but I'm going to have to say it's probably going to be a relatively easy victory for Dortmund. I expect a lot of ball possession, a lot of dominance. Got to be careful on some of those breaks, but I feel oddly confident in our defensive unit. So... Yeah, I, I would say a comfortable win. Maybe not an easy one, but a comfortable. Well, I'm I'm glad you're so convinced because I must say from here and it's what is it Wednesday? I have no clue how this game will go for a couple of reasons. Um, of course, it's a good advantage for Dortmund that Höfler is out. He has uh, picked up a second yellow in Leipzig and hence is suspended, and he is also a very important player in Freiburg's midfield so um yeah that doesn't really increase their winning chances however I will be the Matthias Sommer of this podcast now and raise my finger and say that Hertha and Wolfsburg have done fucking dick in their games they have been absolutely passive they have great not now you're gonna have to put that e next to this I don't care 
<laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> Not that it's out there. Um, no, but but to to be honest, um, this game against Freiburg will tell us a little bit more about how Dortmund are and how how well they are already in their position and their pressing. Because as I said, Wolfsburg and Hertha have been very passive. And Freiburg, on the other hand, for what it's worth, although they lost heavily in the end, in the very, in the first half, they showed very well how good they are on the ball and that they can elude a pressing and also a very intense pressing as Leipzig can show it. So, um, yeah, although they didn't sustain it in the end, uh, I think there's some potential for Freiburg to actually create some scoring chances. Uh, even Wolfsburg and Berlin showed with their passiveness that, um, they're, is space to exploit in in Dortmund's system, although they didn't quite do that. I think that Freiburg, our team, they could that that could do it. So um, yeah, before I um tipping Dortmund to finish first place, I want to see them dismantle Freiburg and not allow too many chances because so far the difference of Dortmund being first is uh, their two clean sheets, and uh, if they can prove to me that their defense also works against a side that is a little bit more savvy on the ball than Wolfsburg and Berlin, then I'll buy it, but before I will not. So yeah, this is actually not much of a preview other than then uh, warning that I think Dortmund must uh, also dismantle a side like Freiburg, although they have done so comfortably in the past games. I don't know, they have probably the longest winning streak of all sides against Freiburg who have been a very uh, great six-point deliverant over the last couple of seasons, although they've been promote, uh, relegated for a year, but in the meantime, they've always uh, looked bad against Dortmund. So, yeah, Freiburg prediction? I'm going to predict a 4-1 for Dortmund. Alright, I'm gonna say 3-1 because in the end I'm confident that Dortmund will prove to me that they are actually capable of beating a team like Freiburg. Um, moving on to the Champions League. Um, Matthias, I am very much excited about that group. I don't care if it's Real Madrid again, uh, because I think Real Madrid are right now the best team in the world and uh, it's fun to play against them. And not too many years ago, all Dortmund fans only could have dreamed about playing Real Madrid and I don't mind playing against them regularly at all, especially knowing that Dortmund actually can perform well against them and uh, get a couple of points from the Bernabeu maybe even. So with Tottenham now at Wembley, this should be to me a, a key game because I still see Real Madrid finishing top of the group. So it's basically about second place against Tottenham at least in my mind so far. So um, knowing that you were insider more or less for both teams, how do you see this one play out? Uh, well, I mean, I have to say, as far as giving away the first place to Real Madrid, I'm not not quite there yet because Dortmund won the group last season. Yeah, Real Madrid and, and, tend to slack and, off in the group stages. That's right. Yeah, and, and Dortmund are better this year than they were last year. Um, and we, we tend to do well against them somehow. I don't know why, but anyway, uh, as far as Tottenham goes, uh, <laughs> obviously when I saw the draw, I was not happy, um, because I don't like having two clubs that I care so much about playing in the same group. Uh, Tottenham, I don't think are, I, Dortmund's going to beat Tottenham. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, just because even though I don't buy into a Wembley curse for Tottenham, um, it's still kind of there. It's not the same type of atmosphere um, as White Hart Lane, even though last season that it just 
Yeah, no, I I don't see Tottenham. They'll, they'll push Dortmund, they'll push Real Madrid, but I think both Dortmund and Real Madrid are, are better and will end up ahead of them. Um, it, it would be great if Dortmund and Tottenham go through, but I don't see that happening. And Tottenham have started the season, unlike Dortmund, who've been dominant in performances so far. Tottenham, not not really so much. You know, I mean, a lucky win, in my estimation, a lucky win against Newcastle because of an idiotic sending off from John Joe Shelby. Um, losing to Chelsea, deservedly in my opinion, and then a draw against Burnley, which I guess a draw against Burnley isn't that surprising given who they are, but overall... Uh, they're going to have a harder season transfer-wise. They made a couple of additions that I don't understand, like Llorente. I don't get that one. Serge Aurier, I can kind of see it right back, but he's a difficult character. Davinson Sanchez, a young defender that I think could do well for them, even though, in my opinion, they already have a very good center-back pairing. So, you know, we'll we'll kind of see if Harry Kane gets injured. I think Tottenham is screwed, but uh, and if Dele Alli gets injured, Tottenham are screwed. So those are kind of linchpins, but they are still very, very good. They'll still push Dortmund, but I do believe uh, Dortmund would be favored to win both ties against Tottenham. Oh, really? I don't, I don't know if they actually will win in in Wembley. I also think a draw will be enough in the assumption that then they will win at Dortmund at some point um, against Tottenham. So who do Dortmund actually have to shut down to uh, shut down Ali and Kane? Or Kane, rather. <laughs> Kane, he's, Kane. Not, he's not a French winger. Yeah, never mind. Uh, um, Ericsson, to me, is a key one. Uh, Musa Dembele is another key key cog in, in Pochettino's side. So if you can kind of stop those... They, they liked also, you know, you, you've got some of those passes coming from Alderweireld out of the back, who's, in my my opinion, the best defender in the Premier League, best center back. Um, but the key is really, if you get a grip on Ericsson, who's their creative force, even though Dele Alli is their most explosive player, in my opinion, I think you'll, you'll get a lot of joy out of that. Uh, Kane can always move and score a goal. He's... He's an odd player in that sense because he's he doesn't seem the fastest or the most technically gifted, but he's he's really 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 good. Um, for me, it'd be more about shutting down Deli Ali and shutting down Christian Eriksen than shutting down Harry Kane. Because if you if you stifle those two players, Harry Kane's going to be on an island regardless. So here's my question to you, Matthias. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Bosch favors, of course, the high-octane pressing style. Do you think that will be suited for the Champions League or may Dortmund run into an open knife in London? I don't think so because Pochettino also likes to play an aggressive pressing game. So I think it'd actually be an incredibly entertaining match. Uh, he's not really one to have Tottenham sit back, absorb pressure, break on the counter. Uh, they also like to take it to the opponent. Um, so I think that that could make it very, very interesting. I don't. I definitely don't see a one nil or a nil nil in this. Um, this could be like a four to two or three to two or something along those lines, or a two all if it be a draw. Um, but I, I think this would be kind of one of those heavyweight boxing fights where they're trading punches the whole time. All right, weak points. Um, I would have to look at the fullback positions as probably the weakest points for Tottenham. Um, by far. Uh, the other one is Deli Ali's discipline um, can be a weak point. To me, 
Tottenham are very, very strong down the middle. They're not as strong, in my estimation, as they once were on the wings, uh, especially without Danny Rose. Um, you know, yeah, they have Serge Aurier now at, at right back. Uh, Kyle Walker-Peters is, in my opinion, not a top Premier League type fullback. But those are really the the weaknesses. If you can get balls behind them, it's not dissimilar to us. If you can get behind them, you you can get at them that way. Um so it's it's being sturdy defensively, probably playing a little bit more of a counterattacking style um, away from home, and and I think that's that's where you can get them when you get those fullbacks who also like to push up very very high. If you get them out of position, get behind them, then Dortmund, with the speed that we have, can have a fun day. All right, that sounds that sounds like a good match. I personally am very much looking forward to it, just because I think two good teams meet, meet each other and uh, make that group stage actually somewhat more interesting. Um, Hoyman Song, of course, loves scoring against Dortmund. And uh, the fact that we both haven't mentioned the uh, encounter between Dortmund and Tottenham in the EuroLeague two years ago is just simply because Tottenham back then were focusing on the league and not really caring about the EuroLeague. So I don't really want to read too much into that uh, yeah, game or those those two games. So I think it's it's going to be a whole different story this time around. But yeah, interesting match. Uh, as you said, should be attacking minded from both sides. So yeah, a lot of fun or, you know, in the Champions League, I guess that translates to nerves. <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And my prediction actually will be a 2-2 draw. So give me yours, Matthias, and I think we can get out of here. Uh, I see Dortmund winning this one. And uh I know I said like 3-2, 4-2, four, 4-3, <laughs> something like that, but I think a 2-1 is kind of with a lot of a lot of speed, a lot of tempo, a lot of good opportunities on both sides and don't want just kind of edging it because I think they edge it in quality of players. All right, yeah. I mean, there's not much to argue against it and uh yeah, to me to me there would be something if Dortmund uh add another two wins with the next two games that would be quite the start to their season. So, yeah. I'm all for it. Uh, that would, uh, I think that really would p give them massive momentum for those, I think, seven games in 21 days or so, is it? So, um, yeah, quite the uh, steep ascent now after the international break for Dortmund. But uh, we know all that. And I think that's the funnest part of the season. Maybe not from a sports journalist perspective, because that means a lot of work. However, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to be in a thick and have a Dortmund game like twice a week. So that's cool. Matthias, it's also very cool that you joined me for that not-so-quick-and-dirty show after all. So, um, yeah, thanks again. And uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Ah, always a pleasure, always fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MatthiasSuk. Perfect. You can find me at Stefan Butzko. And if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do that also on Twitter at YellowWallPod. You can also find us on Facebook under YellowWallPod. And if you want to find us on iTunes, type in the Yellow Wall or any other podcatcher like Stitcher. And uh, yeah, I think our SoundCloud account is also YellowWallPod. So yeah, those are the channels where you can find us. Don't forget to uh, check out our written content on yellowwallpod.com. Although I won't uh, be able to bring fresh quotes from the mix zone myself, I'm pretty sure we'll still have some uh, interviews from the players after the game up at some point, translate. So yeah, look out for all of that. And uh, Matthias, thanks again for 
for joining and to everyone out there. Thanks again for listening. If you want to support us financially, you can do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And to everyone who's already doing that, a big thank you as well. So yeah, that was episode 198. Until next week, goodbye.